0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The following is an intimate conversation about the realities of giving birth, and it may not be appropriate for sensitive ears. On today's
1: episode... So the head of anesthesia, as my hero, came to the ICU that evening and he comes in and he's like do you remember that? (laughs) And I laughed and he was like, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. We just had no idea what we were going to be able to do or how that was going to have to go. And I'm so sorry. And I just looked at him and I was like, you know what? I'm alive and this baby's alive and we're fine. So thank you. We knew that was a possibility. I have every confidence you guys did the best you could and we're all okay. So we're good. We actually brought him a case of wine. It was
0: really hilarious. Hello, this is The Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Williams. I'm so glad you're here. On this show, new moms share their birth stories and experts share advice about how to be more prepared for your own journey into birth and parenthood. And sometimes you get both, like in today's episode. I want you to just imagine for a second. There's a woman who chooses to get pregnant, knowing that she will very likely have to deliver her baby via cesarean section without anesthesia. Now, imagine that she does end up delivering that baby via C-section without drugs. And then shortly thereafter, she decides to get pregnant again and have a second baby who will also be delivered the exact same way. Now, would you call that person crazy? someone with possibly the highest pain tolerance of all time, or maybe just someone who is an expert in pain management and knows how to prepare for such an event. Well, for now, let's just call her Dr. Jody Thomas, and she is once again my guest on the podcast today. This is part two of our conversation. So if you haven't heard part one yet, you're gonna need to stop listening right now and go back one episode and listen to part one first, and then come back and pick up where you left off. All right, go ahead. All right, now for the rest of you who already heard part one, let's just do a quick recap of where we left off in the last episode. Last week, we met Dr. Jodi Thomas, a licensed clinical psychologist and specialist in pediatric medical illness and trauma. She is a Stanford-educated, well-known expert in pain and pain management She currently runs the Make Foundation, and her life's mission is to help end human suffering from pain for children and their families. We talked about some very simple ways that parents can create pain-free medical experiences for their babies and children. We also began to talk about what techniques women who are preparing for childbirth can employ to create a positive pain experience for themselves during labor and delivery. Then dr jody started to tell us her own birth stories we found out that due to pre-existing health conditions jody's body rejects anesthesia also it's very dangerous for her to deliver vaginally the only option for her to deliver a baby is via c-section without anesthesia we left off just as the doctors let jody know they need to start getting the baby out Some of you, I understand, are particularly squeamish, so if you just don't think you can handle it and you prefer to skip the actual birth, jump ahead about four minutes from the start of the conversation, but trust me, I do think you can handle it. Either way, The good news is that what Dr. Thomas learned from her own experience getting through a surgery without medical pain relief and then choosing to do it again 18 months later for baby number two, it does make her a true expert in practicing what she preaches. Let's
1: jump in where we left off right now. Finally, they just looked at me and said, that's the most that we're going to be able to do So we're going to start getting the baby out now. Oh my God. Because you're starting to become unstable and the heart rate is, you know, just not where we want it to be. Your so heart rate the or baby the baby's out heart, out. the baby was not doing okay. The baby. So I started, we were kind of used to my, <laughs> my not being great. Okay. So, but then we were, one of the baby started to be affected. Okay. And right. so And I have to say the anesthesiologist did an amazing job. So here's where we talk about sort of the context of pain and that need for safety. Mm. So when we know that we can ignore a pain signal, it's incredibly powerful. Okay. But when we don't know when this is a matter of safety, then we have to attend to it because it has potentially really important information. Mm. So if we picture this scene, I have a room full of people all have made it very clear. We have no idea what the hell is going to happen. Right. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't dissociate from the pain experience because it has important information. Right. So I'm sitting here with my husband who's thinking at my head and the head of anesthesia, which is beautiful because he would sit there and look at me like every, I'm sure minute or so It felt further than that at the moment. And he would look at me and say, you're okay. The baby's okay and I would turn to my husband, look at his face. I'm holding his hands. I'm like, it's okay. 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 And I'd look at the the head of anesthesia again. He's like, you're okay. Baby's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But it was exquisitely painful because I knew that if pain felt wrong, somehow, like really trusting my intuition that I needed to tell them, right. Like this was going to be important to keep that baby safe and me. safe. So, to be truthful, it was incredibly painful.
0: I mean, how could it not be? So, they. Yes. Oh, Jody, how did you sit still? No. How did you stay still? Did they hold you, strap you down? Like, what? What?
1: They were so my yeah so my bo- lot of body was strapped down okay um because it you know had to be so I didn't just reflexively do stuff but I knew that right yeah. and I wanted that because I obviously didn't want to mess anything up so I'm like yes please <laughs> hold those still because I can't trust myself to do it yeah. um but I know why it's important so please do right yeah. um my hands were not like my upper body and hands were not which really does a lot to change how you feel by the way okay <laughs> so, yeah. Because they knew and I could trust myself. I'm not going to like, you know, smack anyone or whatever. Like I just couldn't trust that, you know, I was going to be able to, you know, not reflexively pull my knees up or something like that. Mm. So they were as soon as the baby was out, they like drugged the heck out of me. Right. Because they I mean, these poor people had to sit there and do this knowing, right? Like this is torturous for them as well. Right. Were you able to
0: do nitrous oxide or anything
1: No, I had nothing. You had nothing. So we had no, because again, they didn't know what it would do to me. So I had oxygen in, but that's it. Oh, wow. Um, so then the moment they, I mean, the video of me seeing my son for the first time is somewhat hilarious because I'm high as a kite because as soon as they, <laughs> I'm sure they put in maybe even more than they needed to after they cut the cord. Cause they're like, Oh God, please like give this woman something like <laughs> we're feel so bad. Right. Cause then they could give me things that would, you know, cross the placental barrier that they wouldn't want the baby exposed to, but they could do for me. Oh my gosh. So fast forward later. So I had made my, my husband promised that he would go with the baby that you're going to go because I knew it was going to be well for I could because I had been brought in and I was in the NICU. So I'd been in the NICU overnight because they had to put together my little dream team as we called them. Mm-hmm. So they actually, so that morning got the phone call. We went to the hospital. They put me in the intensive care unit to keep me stable and to try to keep me from like stroking out before I could get the baby mm-hmm. out. And so we went from the ICU to the delivery room and then back to the ICU. Wow. So I was in the ICU for three days to just keep me stable and make sure that I didn't, you know, totally stroke out or, or destabilize. And so <laughs> I made my husband promise a million times over that he would go with the baby mm-hmm. and he wouldn't stay with me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're not going to, st- I will be fine. Please. You have to go with the baby. I want you to hold him as soon as you can. Yeah. I want you to skin to skin yeah. as soon as you can. Yeah. I want you there doing all of that um, and take a million pictures because I will kill you. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was funny because the team was like, you can save your wife. And he's like, yeah, no, I can't. Like, she'll kill me. <laughs> like, no. When she feels better, she will kill me. Oh, but my yeah. God. Um, wow. So <laughs> the poor. So I'm in the ICU, which means I can't go to the nursery. Yeah. Right? So it was incredibly hard. So they but because he was fine, so Jackson um turned out to be just fine and he was totally good, which was different than Josephine on time two. Mm. So but they would bring him to me in the ICU every three hours. Okay. So I could That's something. try to feed yeah. and sit there. And it which was weird because like I still couldn't move my arms. I had in the arterial lines and all of that, but at least I got to be with him and hold him and yeah. all of that. And then it was mixed with the head of anesthesia is this lovely man who's my hero came to the ICU that evening and he comes in and he's like, do you remember that? (laughs) And I laughed because, you know, I've worked for the department of anesthesia forever. And I'm like, you should have given me Versed if you wanted me to forget that. (laughs) and, And he laughed and he was like, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. We just had no idea what we're going to be able to do or how that was going to have to go. And I'm so sorry. And I just looked at him and I was like, you know what? I'm alive and this baby's alive and we're fine. Mm. So thank you. Mm. I knew we knew that was a possibility. I have every confidence you guys did the best you could and we're all okay. So we're good. It's okay.
0: Oh, I am in awe. Of you right now, that is some strong force that you were able to focus and get through that. I mean, really, and and oh, for the anesthesiologist you, but- to come in and and tell you he's sorry, it yeah. must have been pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I mean it's impressive, and that's a kudos to him, right? He could have slunk away and never like be like, oh, that was terrible. I never want to think about that again. Oh. We actually brought him a case of wine. It was really oh. hilarious, um, and. and- but fast forward 18 months and we're here again. Oh my with gosh. My daughter. Oh my right? gosh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, like, your daughter must feel very wanted. <laughs> <laughs> if she what ever has any doubt that she was wanted, <laughs> then she can hear the story and realize. <laughs> what you did for her
1: we have mm, oh. we have guilt for days yeah oh, no <laughs> my god so you did it so soon too and did it again i know people are like you did it again i'm like well i did get a kid at the end yeah let's like, remind I you know. i did get a person so <laughs> um well and we knew it was going to be easier because we now knew okay right? and that's when it kind of talks to you that unknown part mm. an uncertainty part okay. that whether that's a needle or birth or right, right. whatever not knowing really is different. So Mm. Josephine's pregnancy was very different. I mean, I guess it was just, it was more intense. Okay. Um, Can you
0: tell me why? So
1: I found out that I was pregnant when Jackson was 10 months old. (laughs) Oh, Yeah. So we're like, Hey, I have a very fun video telling my husband that. (laughs) Um, so, uh, was it a surprise? (laughs) Well, yes. So I had, I mean, again, the TMI, but that's sort of the nature of this it podcast, I guess. Is, um, yeah. yeah, it had you know I gotten an IUD mm-hmm. and then we had it pulled, mm-hmm. and in preparation for at some point wanting to do this again, and then I called my doctor and was like, "Hi, when should I get my my period again? It's been like six weeks," and he was like, "Take a pregnancy test." <laughs> so I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" Um, <laughs> oh, again, I was you know. Gosh. So breastfeeding and doing all the things that's a lie. Yeah. You can still get pregnant. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so yes. So wow. then found out we were pregnant with number two and the issues again, my body had definitely taken a beating with Jackson. Mm-hmm. And so that was pretty clear on number two. So there were more concerns from the beginning, um, more instability for me mm. from the beginning. Mm. So I was put on bed rest at 20 weeks. Mm. And then at twenty seven weeks I developed preeclampsia.
0: Oh wow. So that's early. Yeah.
1: And then was like on really strict bread rest, like the just you can sit up five minutes an hour, you can take a shower every other day. Yeah. And you have to sit in the shower. You can't do anything bed rest. So I was human incubator time. Oh yeah. So, in most situations, I would have been in the hospital, but my doctor was awesome again, and she's like, "I know that you being in the hospital will be more stressful than you being at home mm-hmm. so I'm gonna trust you and you know, I got a really good blood pressure pump, and we took my blood pressure five times a day, and it was just basically like, "Look, if you have any pain, if you have anything, if your blood pressure goes above this point, you are coming in immediately." I got monitored three times a week mm. and got blood tests three times a week and did 24-hour urines, you know, mm-hmm. every other week. Mm-hmm. So I'd go in and they would say things to me like every day she's in you is, or we didn't, we actually didn't find out the gender on either one of the babies. Oh, you did it? Cause I knew that every, nice. no, well I knew every single aspect was going to be so controlled mm. <laughs> that I wanted one surprise. Well, that's and so cool. it was funny cause we met with a million specialists, obviously. Right. Yeah. I had to get a million ultrasounds. So I'd walk in and be like, don't tell it. We'd be like, hi, nice to meet you. Don't tell us the gender. That's so cool. We know it's in there. Don't tell us. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Oh,
0: so that must have been a cool moment when Jackson came out, at least. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You maybe were exactly to,
1: you know. No, it was the whole giving us something to look forward to, right? Giving us something to do it was like boy or girl what is it wow. you know we don't know
0: that's cool that's
1: cool I mean we knew like the size is kid's brain ventricles but we didn't know it's gender so um <laughs> it was awesome and uh, it's great. everything about it but not this uh, so the Josephine uh who we didn't know was Josephine at the time uh-huh. yeah so I was on very strict bed rest and they would tell me things like you know every day that the baby's in you is three days they're not in the NICU mm-hmm. so hold on hold on mm-hmm. hold on mm-hmm my mom thank god came because again i had a you know 13 14 month old at this time oh my gosh i don't know how you did that on bed rest oh yeah i couldn't do anything so my amazing heroic mother came and um took care of him and helped us out and wow. took care of everything mm-hmm. and literally like slept on our pull out couch And I started getting, so I, one of my areas of expertise professionally is hypnosis and self-hypnosis and teaching that to kids in particular. Mm. And so I started having a really serious practice in that and had friends and colleagues help me out and kind of create recordings and things for me. Mm. And just the entire focus for months was keeping the baby inside.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And so we made it to... So at 33 weeks, the end of 33 weeks, I went in for my normal check where I would go in, which was like exciting for me because it was the only time I got to leave the house or do anything. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) we went in and we did a blood pressure and it was kind of, it was high, but I thought she was a mistake because it was so high and the tech was kind of new. So I'm like, oh, whatever. Hmm. And then we did them fetal monitoring and we didn't get a lot of movement, but She also moved all the time. So I wasn't actually concerned that it just hadn't been captured in that 20 minutes, Right. Mm -hmm. but they came and redid the blood pressure and it was better. But again, my doctor who is, I don't know, maybe perhaps omniscient in some way. (laughs) She was like, I'm going to just bring, we're going to bring you over to L and D unit. And we're just going to monitor you for the rest of the afternoon. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. So we did. And at that point, actually everything normalized and the baby is doing fine. And my blood pressures were, relatively fine, like for where they had been uh-huh. in my pre state. And then we were about to leave and she was like, okay, I'm going to send you home and we'll do another 24 hour urine.
0: Now at this point, were you with your husband since you could, you can't drive when you're in bed. So a I,
1: okay. This is the funny part. So my mom was with me okay. at this point. Uh-huh. Um, so she drove me, we hadn't even called my husband to update him because oh. it was so like normal, uh-huh. but I'm like, oh, whatever, fine. <laughs> and so, so we're going to go home and we're about to call my husband and be like, Hey, by the way, can you pick up the baby who wasn't like within our nanny share and mm-hmm. meet us at home and whatever. And then, so she, le- my doctor leaves the room and says, I'm going to go get, you know, discharged off. And then it come back in a minute and she goes, you know what, Jody? I just have a feeling. And so I would really appreciate if you'd just spend the night mm. and we can do the 24 hour year in here and monitor you. Oh, wow. And I was like, all right, okay. And so I literally sent my mom home and to go, you know, get my son and do dinner mm-hmm. and call my husband and said, Hey, go home, you know, do dinner, get the baby to bed. And then you can, you know, come and visit me, but everything should be fine. <laughs> Let's take a little break real quick, shall we? Travel back with me to a
0: moment in the history of human birth, a little segment I like to call, and you thought you had it bad now. (laughs) Did you know that Queen Victoria helped to normalize the use of anesthesia during childbirth? Yep, that's right. There is some debate about who was the first doctor to give a woman anesthesia during childbirth, but in the 1840s, both American physician Crawford W. Long and Scottish physician James Y. Simpson are credited with giving their wives ether as an anesthetic during labor and childbirth. Dr. Simpson and his wife were so thrilled with the results that they actually named their daughter, take a wild guess, anesthesia. No, I'm not kidding you. They, they really did that. Queen Victoria, who spent 16 years of her life, either pregnant or nursing, famously called pregnancy and birth the shadow side of marriage, something that she endured but never enjoyed. I mean, she was a busy working mom, like ruling a country with no birth control and stuff. So that must have been pretty crazy. When she was pregnant with her sixth child, she was very excited to hear that there was a new drug in town that might help ease the pain of childbirth. She and her husband, Prince Albert, lobbied the Queen's doctors to administer chloroform to her during the birth, but medically, this was not advised at the time, and more importantly, socially, it was frowned upon for a woman to seek pain relief for birth. You know, that old theological worldview that Eve sinned, And as her punishment for sinning, all women for all of time are required to suffer during childbirth. It's a woman's burden. That's it. End of subject. The common social belief of the time was that if a woman didn't want to suffer during childbirth, then she is rejecting God's will. And that is just sacrilege and blasphemy. Queen Victoria's doctors flatly refused to give her the drug. It wasn't until she was preparing to give birth to her eighth child in 1853 that Queen Victoria and Prince Albert decided enough is enough. They fired that old doctor and got a new one. They brought in Dr. John Snow, the leading anesthetist in London, to attend the birth and administer chloroform. And afterwards, the queen declared that the use of chloroform during childbirth was delightful beyond measure. She used chloroform again during the birth of her ninth and final child, and the procedure became known as chloroform a la REN. Slowly thereafter, the medical debate over pain control quieted, and the procedure became more socially accepted. Thanks, Vicky. We owe you one.
1: So by the time we reached the floor, they transferred me to the L&D floor, um, it was not fine. Oh no. So at that point in time my blood pressure was like 195 over 106 mm. and oh the look on the nurses faces <laughs> was like, ah. and, oh, no, uh, you know, that's bad they when they're a couple of times. They're like, she's like, are you stressed? I'm like, nope, but I am now. Look at you. Right.
0: <laughs> like oh, my gosh. <laughs>
1: Your face doesn't look like I should be relaxed.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> so then I'm just sitting there like, you know, doing my breaths and doing my self hypnosis. And they're like, all right, we'll come back in a few minutes and do it again. And still really high. And now I can kind of see that everyone's in panic mode.
0: Mm, That's not good.
1: And so then finally the nurse has to come back in and say to me, she's like, look, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you know, your doctor is on the phone, basically trying to reassemble the entire team that we had before. Okay. Cause she knew that we wanted the same team in the room for my delivery. Yeah. Um, She did not want to throw in random people. (laughs) Right. And she's like, so she's really busy trying to get the entire team together but I need you to know we're going to have to take the baby out. The baby has to come out as soon as possible. Oh gosh. Okay. So then I'm like, Freaking out! I'm like, but now I'm like, it's just going to be 34 weeks tomorrow. We're not ready. We're not done. She's not done. Like, we're, then I start getting very irrational. Oh I'm yeah. Like, no, we can't do this. We've done well this far. We can do this. We're fine. Like, yeah. We've got our system. Well, that's we're good. the other
0: complication uh, of birth. Because like earlier you were talking about how if you feel like you're safe, then you mm-hmm. then you can cope with things. But with birth, yeah. there's the added <laughs> there's the baby there. And so yeah. when you're worried that the baby's not safe, then sometimes yes. it's hard to feel like that was my situation where it was constantly yes. like, are we going to have to do an emergency C-section? Oh wait, he seems like he's okay. Or, you know, it was like yes. back and forth and it's like, no matter if I felt like I was okay, I was constantly worried about the baby and it's yes. difficult to train your mind to be, to be calm in that scenario. Cause it is kind of like a life and death situation. It you know? is.
1: Well, exactly. Correct. And so this is where now, again, with my first pregnancy. And see, the baby was always fine. I just wasn't. Mm. But all of a sudden, now the baby could not be fine. Mm. And that, like you said, adds a whole new layer. Mm. Now... I had chosen not to give birth at the hospital where I worked. Everyone's like, why didn't you do that? I'm like, because I don't like people who I work with to see me naked. Okay. Like, we cannot. Like, hey. I teach some of these <laughs> residents. I don't need them to see me trying to learn to breastfeed. Like, this is not what we need. Like, this is not cool. Right? Uh, yeah. I like so I was Not in the hospital <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: where I was on faculty, very intentionally. Huh. <laughs> but um, we shared experts between the two hospitals. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the reasons that the nurse had to tell me is because the NICU is about to come in and talk to me, right? Because mm. they wanted you needed know, to prep me. Mm. And um, I called my husband in panic. And I was like, you need to come and you need to come right now. And he's like, well, can I finish putting the baby down? I'm like, no, you cannot get in the car. My mom can handle that. Like, <laughs> Right. Because he now. needs like, to be prepped by yes, the NICU as well, good. right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> get in the car. Yeah. Oh, And I came in and I asked her that same question. I said, do I ask to be transferred Mm. right now? Mm. Like, because we knew this hospital had everything to take care of me, but I hadn't really explored whether they had everything to take care of a preemie. Right. You know, I was like, so she was great and reassuring. And she's like, nope, for what we would be concerned about, we're totally wholly equipped and you were fine and good here. Mm. But I understand your question. And if I had a doubt, I would. Arrange for you to be transferred. Mm. I'm like, thank you very much. Again, that whole thing of like needing create a sense of safety and certainty that you're making the right choice in the right. face of the uncertain. Um. So yeah, and so pretty immediately, and then I got again, we went from the L unit, my you know ten minutes I got spend there, um, <laughs> up to the ICU, and put me on um, medications to lower and stabilize my blood pressure. Basically, they were like, we just have to make sure again, she's like, we're sort of asking you but not asking you if you're willing to do this because you can stroke out in any moment. And so there is some nominal potential risk for the baby. But you being dead is a lot better. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Oh my god. Yeah. So then I spent the night in the ICU as soon and then in the morning as soon as we could get the team together. I was back in the OR and we did the same routine. Um, but again, talk about different. So even though now felt more intense because we were worried about the baby, not just me, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Like what well, we were worried about the first baby, but in a different way, like right. we're now, you know, yeah. Yeah. Very early. Yeah. We're six weeks early. We're, we're definitely early. Mm. And, um, and also we know that this baby's been, you know, not the most stable. So like, yeah. we're not surely sure. Um, but despite that, What everyone in the room knew was exactly what they needed to do, right? Right, right. So I could dissociate from the pain. Great. Because the team knew what they needed to do to keep us both safe. Wow. So it was so different from that perspective that my husband later thought that they had been able to give me drugs. What? He was like, Oh, it was so nice that they could do that this time. And I was like, yeah, they didn't. Do that. What are you talking about? You're like, I'm like, just well, a Jedi now. So much comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and I was like, yeah, but I could just, diso- I could give myself permission to associate from the pain because I knew it was safe and they knew it was safe.
0: Wow. Wow. So,
1: that's a very long way of saying just how important it is that we have that sense of safety. Because once I could give myself that permission,
0: yeah,
1: because we knew it was safe, then I could use my like, you know, my self hypnosis dissociation, whatever you want to call it. That right. you know, the word hypnosis brings up all sorts of feelings in people, but right. basically yeah. use my focus and concentration and breath mm-hmm. to distance myself from the pain experience Mm. and it literally alters the way your body processes pain signals and alters you chemically.
0: Right. So,
1: um, so despite that, despite that Josephine's birth was so much more, you know, excitement, it was much felt much less planned, right. Mm. And more emergent. And I was physically much more unstable going into it. Um, it was so much more peaceful and pleasant. Um, oh because gosh. I everyone knew what to do, yeah, and I knew my husband was going to be there, and I knew that as soon as she was out, that they would give me what I, you know anything I needed to be comfortable, and wow, that I knew mm. my husband was going to go with the baby. I'm like, I'm going to mm. kill you if you don't go with the baby again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, um, mm. so yeah. Also, you knew that you had done it and survived before. Yeah, and exactly. that's powerful. I mean, I think that in my own birth experience, it wasn't that intense. Oh my gosh. Uh, of course. But mm-hmm. you know, at the end of it being yeah. like, well, nothing's ever going to scare me again, you know, sort of like, yeah, I,
1: well, exactly. Yeah. It. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it is really intense and hard. And people are like, Oh my God, your birth story is horrific. And I'm like, yeah, but like everyone, that's just, it's just a different degree in my mind, but it's really actually not a degree in our experience. Like it's, as painful for someone else right like right. it's it's the way we're designed so we can adjust as needed
0: right um, right but it is
1: like I know I had done that before the hardest part with Josephine however is that she was in the ICU she was in the NICU right. and I was in the ICU so I didn't get to hold her for three days oh that's hard so that was I mean whenever it's like what was the hardest part I'm like not being able to hold her and be with her like that was horrific yeah um, I'd rather go through the birth experience a million times over than do that again. Mm. So I just spent three days like begging them to put me down at a lower level of care so I could go and see her in the ICU. Wow,
0: how was your your um, physical recovery for both C sections? Were you able to manage the pain on that? Um,
1: did you have medication mm-hmm.
0: for that? What what was your coping technique for I you. was
1: able to switch really quickly to like um, ibuprofen and, okay. and you know uh, and acetaminophen mm-hmm. and and do that. Again, I tend to have a pretty good pain tolerance for (laughs) lots of different reasons. One, I have good coping skills, but two, I just think I have a high pain tolerance by wiring too, like that whole physical, psychological part that we talked about earlier. Right. So that was was actually pretty smooth, I think, comparatively speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, With Josephine, it was tough because we stayed in the hospital for so long. Um, I was in the ICU for three days, and then was in the hospital for nine ish, a little more than nine days. Okay. Which was great, honestly, because then I could just go and see her and, you know, come back to my room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was harder when I wasn't in the hospital and then I would you know, again, I was pretty post part of me and Oh yeah. I guess I'm pretty obsessive at that point. So we were there like all the time. So I spent almost all my time in the hospital with her, um, which isn't always the norm for pre But I just knew the importance of that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. connection and had a great team taking care of my other little one. And I would see him every day. Mm. So again, I didn't get to see him for several days because he couldn't come into the ICU. Oh
0: yeah. That's hard. Yeah.
1: And he couldn't come in. So we were in the ICU for 27 days before she was okay.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And the struggle to feed her.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you if, cause it sounded like you, you, uh, chose to breastfeed, but how did that go for you? Did, were you able to?
1: Yes. So, um, with Jackson, um, we, it was hard, right. It was the total hard, you know, it's called like the lie of breastfeeding is so if it's easy. I mean, it's really important, but so hard. It's it's um, such a challenge. And yeah, And had um he had a pretty weak suck and some oral motors we had like the baby OT mm-hmm. in with us mm-hmm. trying to help improve his suck and he was having a hard time gaining weight for a little while and we would have to wake him up to feed him which was you know always painful yeah but he eventually caught on and was able to do that um Josephine in comparison um she had pretty significant oral motor issues mm-hmm. and so um we did she had to be what they call gavage feeding with hmm. a tube down her nose into her belly oh, okay. um, to be okay. fed. And so what we would do is again is this really intense schedule of every three hours and um because we would the we needed to try to build up her strength. Right. her oral motor strength. And so then we would have to occasionally skip uh, oral feeding because I would try to do breast, uh-huh. which is really challenging, and then we would try to do some bottle right. to try to get her mouth. But you were pumping
0: your breast milk
1: to feed her. Yeah, okay. so I was pumping. Yeah. I was pumping like a psycho person. <laughs> <laughs> I was pumping like I had twins. And just so we're clear to you, like with Jackson, he was you know obviously hard birth too, and so I didn't have any milk come in for three days. Yeah, and finally I was the one who was like, "Can we please give this kid some formula?". Can we please do this? Like he is starving okay. at this point. Uh-huh. And he yeah. was coming like really agitated mm. and difficult to console. And so finally we gave him um some formula and he like, you know, sucked it down yeah. and was happy. I'm like, he's hungry. Yeah. And then when my milk finally came in, we were able to switch to the breast mm-hmm. to which again, I, I, I totally get everyone's different and all the different concerns, but it was also really nice because then again, my body was had a hard time recovering. So it was very nice. We set up a system even at home where I would do most of the feedings, breastfeeding, mm-hmm. but then we would do a feeding in the middle of the night that my husband would do by bottle so I could sleep for four or five hours continuously. And that's let great. Me recover. I mean, truly I'm a believer in fed is mm-hmm. best
0: and I yes, put so exactly. much pressure on myself to do every feeding breastfeeding. And uh, mm-hmm. if you know, I ever have another kid, I definitely yeah. will be more willing to supplement earlier and not feel so guilty about it and I think that that's yeah. one of the things is like women get so pressured it's, if you're giving your child any breast milk they're already really benefiting from that especially yeah. in the early days and um you just you can't you can't pressure yourself like you can't Whatever capacity that you have to give your child is gonna make the whole family more healthy, you and the baby, mm-hmm. and your yeah. partner. So, if you can share responsibility and supplement, I am such a fan of that. Personally, yeah, I was Every- everyone's different, like you said.
1: Fan. Well, and just like the lack of pressure. Like it was interesting with. I remember going to like the breastfeeding class mm-hmm. with Jackson, like when I was pregnant with my first. And the the woman who happened to teach the course was just kind of a nightmare, honestly. And Mm -hmm. she had asked at some point, like, had people raise their hands, like, who was planning on a C section? And we'd raised our hands. And so she decided to come over to me during a break and start to lecture me on just how what a terrible decision that was, and how it was not natural, and how this was hurting my baby. (laughs) And she told you your
0: C section was a terrible decision. Yeah. Has she ever and worked with people I, who get birth before? What's yeah, wrong with her?
1: No, I was like, who exactly? I'm like, who are you? And I was like, well, I thought she's like, it'd be better for my, your baby if you did vaginal birth. And I was like, well, I think it'd be better for my baby if I weren't dead. So I'm going with the C section. But thank you for your input. Yeah. Not at
0: all. And also, yeah. most of the time, people, when they get a C section, <laughs> it's not a choice.
1: Okay. No. Woman? No. People aren't like, you know, it'd be awesome. This. You're like, Ugh. nope. Lots of reasons. Thank you for your judgment. It makes my skin crawl Um, that
0: that people, especially new moms, have to deal with that kind of hate. I hate it
1: exactly. So that was really, Mm. really painful. Mm. Um, yeah. So that wasn't uh, that wasn't good at all. Is
0: there any sort of um, like you know, a lot of people? Well, most people who's who have babies in the NICU, they don't expect Mm -hmm. it unless it's maybe you know you have multiples and it's a planned C-section because. Yeah, that's the only scenario that I can think of. Maybe there's other ones, but you don't really anticipate mm-hmm. that you're going to have to deal with the NICU scenario. So for parents that are listening that might suddenly find themselves in the similar shoes that you were in, what would you say to them to, you know, what what do you wish that you would have known about dealing with the NICU mm-hmm. that maybe you would advise someone just to to be prepared for?
1: Well, I had, you know, again, massive advantage having been like a psychologist in the NICU before Mm. and helping families and support them, though I can tell you it is a whole different ballgame to be on the other side. Mm. I think the thing I would say is that the vulnerability that you feel Mm. is so normal and it's okay. So for years I've done like diagnosis counseling, meaning so when like a child finds out they have cancer Mm. that I talk to the parents. Mm and or we're finding ourselves the NICU and the message I would hear from parents all the time is I know I should know how to handle this
0: Hmm.
1: and the message I would have to them is like that actually that'd be super weird if you did Hmm. okay like you you shouldn't know how to handle this you didn't have a baby and get pregnant and then expect you know what they're going to get diagnosed with cancer when they're five so I should know how to handle that or Mm -hmm. um you know I'm going to get pregnant and then I'm going to find myself in the NICU so I should totally do a ton of prep like no it's not it's 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 an unfortunately weird skill set that you have to have. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I think the thing to say is that it's really a really good time to circle the wagons in terms of finding the people that you know and trust to be supportive in the way that's helpful and useful. Mm. Because people tend to say things and do things that, you know, aren't so helpful and useful. (laughs) You're like, wow, that's super insensitive that you said that. But thank you for playing. Oh, yeah. Or not. So this is a time to be like, you know what, I'm not going to be returning texts to people who I don't, who are not directly feeding me or my family. Emotionally, spiritually, or literally, hmm. that to be like, you know, this is me and my partner and whatever friends who get it. And that, that's okay. This is not a normal birth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it was really upsetting. We had sort of a member of the family announce on Facebook, <gasps> like say something about congrats to the baby. Now, even my closest friends at this point didn't even know because everything happened so fast. Oh, and no. I, bear in mind at that point that they had done this, like I'm in the ICU. We're not, I don't know how my baby is yet. I don't know if she's okay.
0: I don't know if I'm okay. That's so insensitive. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. And it was
1: really at that point, like, you're like, I was like, we'll get that down. We're not doing this. But I think to remember that like, this is really intense and hard mm-hmm. and it's also okay to have your voice and to trust your mom instinct and your dad instinct, mm-hmm. your parent instinct. Mm-hmm and to question that you're going to be the one that knows your kid best. And this is the very beginning of that journey. Mm. And it's okay to see this very much as a collaboration and you can use your voice and you need to use your voice.
0: Oh, that's great. Really good advice. And it's so hard sometimes when the people that you don't want to pick up the phone or respond to a text Mm -hmm. or don't want to hear from, our family members that you know, are just trying to be helpful. It's not like people do things
1: to be mean. No one's trying to be mean. Yeah. But but it's also okay. You're like, I don't have it in me to caretake you right now. Exactly. This is it. This is where the resources are ending. Right. And so it's like, I don't need your opinion right now. I'm dealing with a lot. (laughs) Okay. Nope. Yeah. I don't need your opinion. I certainly don't need your worry. Yeah. So one of the like images we give people like for, for any bad thing that happens, whether that's like a cancer diagnosis or something bad happening is this circle uh-huh. where like the person, like in this case, like the mom and the baby are in the, in the middle and then it's the partner and then it's the family. And then it's sort of this community and friends growing outward. And the rule we give is you don't go in for support. You go out. Mm. So, you don't be the best friend who's calling, crying, worried about mom to the partner. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, you know, you go out, you go to the other friend, someone who's in your circle Mm -hmm. or one out Mm -hmm. because you can't ask the person who's going through this stunningly intense experience to carry your burden to work full. Yeah. And again, it's done with the greatest intention and love. Like no one, again, that same thing, like no one's trying to do this and they're, doing that, but we can't be asked to reassure others.
0: Oh, yeah. When
1: we're struggling in that place yourself.
0: Wow. And it's really something I think that people, it's hard to get that unless you go through Mm -hmm. something where you feel that other people doing it to you. And then you go. Oh. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's not yeah. totally true. You can be an empathetic, observant human being and just realize yeah. that that's the case. <laughs> but a lot of people yeah, or aren't just being
1: told it, right? Like yeah. it's hard to truly get it right. on that level, right,
0: right, that right. You're talking about, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic advice. I love that. Just in general, that idea of the circle, and that's uh, great. Really great. Hey, it's Christy. Just interrupting this conversation real quick to remind you that there's a very, very, very valuable resource that I've made for you. It's our website, birthshow.com. You can see what I packed in my hospital bag, which items my postpartum nurse gave me to help me with healing, what breastfeeding and bottle feeding supplies I highly recommend, birthshow.com. Go check it out and send the link to anyone you know who might be preparing to give birth and are wondering how best to be equipped and prepared for that, birthshow.com. You know, the thing that I keep thinking is that you have really worked hard to train, especially in this second delivery. You talked a lot about hypnosis, self-hypnosis, and really training your mind. I'm kind of, I don't know that much about hypnosis. I mm-hmm. I read a little bit about hypnobirthing when I was preparing to mm-hmm. give birth, and I thought, oh, that sounds great. But then in the moment, it seems like something (laughs) that you really have to put a lot of work into and train for. You can't just do it last minute. (laughs) <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds uh, at least, you know, any sort of, when I was in labor, any sort yeah. of like trying yeah. to calm myself or distraction techniques or mental, you know, mm-hmm. exercises and I had headphones where I would listen. It just, it didn't work mm-hmm. for me. And it's, and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is silly. Like I didn't actually prepare to do this. Like it's mm-hmm. not going to work now while I'm in the thick of it.
1: <laughs> it's hard to start at Mach 10. Right, yeah. right. But what sort of, for,
0: for anyone, uh, you know, anyone who's preparing to give birth that's listening, that's. Mm-hmm really interested in employing those techniques and working to prepare their mind and their, you know, fortify their um yeah.
1: fortify the resources. Yeah, their resources
0: yeah. as they are preparing to manage their pain and childbirth. Is there anything that you would point us all to to, to learn how to do that?
1: Sure. Thankfully, in our day and age, there's like so many resources available now. We think about like meditation and and these things. Mm-hmm. One of the big things I would say is that it has to be something that works for you. OK, so one of the reasons that I really love hypnosis work is it's um, it's about it's not one way for everyone. It's whatever works for you and whatever feels good to you. Mm-hmm. So I also kind of just a second takeaway from the word hypnosis, which has all sorts of not so fun cultural connotations to it. Yeah. What we're really just talking about is our focus of attention Okay, and her ability to an altered state of awareness. Okay. Uh-huh. we go in and out of those, all the time. Okay. Whether or not we're waking up or going to bed or absorbed in a movie or or a daydream, um, we watch that with our children um, Mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. So I loved when I first started doing children and hypnosis work and people like, Oh, you can do that with kids. I'm like, kids live in hypnosis. Okay. Mm. (laughs) When they're fighting the dragon, they are fighting the dragon. Um, They're committed. Yeah. Yeah. They are committed. So it's that ability, it's training ourselves to use our natural focus of attention in ways that are therapeutic and useful. Hmm. So it's not some crazy, insane, mysterious thing, but what it is, is training our mind to feel like it's more and more under our control. So I'm always, you know, one of the questions that we'll get is like, oh, is hypnosis mind control? I'm like, well, it's you having control of your mind, but it is not having me or anyone else being able to control you. Mm. It is all about motivation,
0: right? It's right? self-government. It's story mm. of both
1: births. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, I love it with pain work because everyone's pretty darn motivated to get out of pain. Right? right. Motivation's there. Yeah. And again, creating that sense of safety. So I would suggest there's um, American society of clinical hypnosis is a great place to start. And um, for adult, I don't know as much about the adult world as I do kid world mm-hmm. or direct resources. Okay. But, basically finding either a practitioner, there's a lots of good people out there. There's some not so awesome people out there. So how do you distinguish where, where and how they were trained? Okay. Cause literally anyone can put up a, a shingle that says, I am a hypnotherapist. That means nothing. Right. Okay. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. so you want to check out where they were trained and what their experience is. Okay. Um, Getting that reference from someone who has used them mm-hmm. is always really good. Um, and then also, this is again that gut and intuition. Do I like this person? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do I? Are they responding to me and my needs? Do they get this? Do I feel like they understand? Right. It is not a one size fits all. It is very much a relationship. Yeah. Um. We can also use. I mean, there's a million apps now. Mm-hmm. For, you know, guided meditations and whatnot, which are there's differences and whatever that are too much to get into at the moment. But yeah. the we really want is learning to have that response. We're we're about changing our body's automatic responses and sort of hijacking those responses and being able to put them to use when we want to. Mm. Um I call it to some of my kids, like Olympic level coping skills.
0: Yes. Um, I love that because it does feel like it's impossible. And that's what the Olympics yeah. are too. Yes, know.
1: exactly. Like So you got to train up and yeah. then, but training up also, it just means like, you know, listening to recording every night or morning, this isn't, you know, forever being like, and figuring out which one works for you. And you're like, this is boring and stupid and I hate it. Or I don't want to be on a beach. Like right. I love doing individual recordings. Um, I love that idea of do what works for you because it does sort of feel yeah.
0: like. And I again, this is me an ignorant <laughs> taking it. I don't. I don't know. I'm ignorant about yeah. Yeah. this because I haven't actually done it. But I'm very curious mm-hmm. because I mm-hmm. think that that is an amazing tool just in life to have to to train mm-hmm. your mind to know yeah. what works for you. But it's just to to learn what works for you. You would say is just trial and error. Just try out a bunch of.
1: Yeah. Things. Just try this out. So if you want to, so I created a tech platform for Stanford children's health called imagine action. Okay. Which is really a self hypnosis website. Um, nice. so it has various recordings. It's, you know, marketed towards kids cause it first Stanford for children's health. But that said, all of the recordings are very adult friendly as well. Oh, good. And I'll link those. So it would be a good way to just test drive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you can put it in your show notes or whatever. I will. Um, and I can send you the link. Yes. Um, it's also available on our website for the Meg foundation. Great. Um, But yeah, so it's there's pain, acute pain, anxiety, fatigue, nausea, which is really large among the pregnant women. Oh, my gosh. I had hyperemesis. I could have
0: used that.
1: Yeah. Hyperemesis, very helpful and useful. But again, so it gives you a test drive and also give you a feeling of what it would be like to have recording that was totally tailored to you right? Like, yeah. this is what I think of. This is the image in my head right now. This is the color of discomfort for me. Huh. So this is kind of the benefits of working with an individual practitioner who can like record things specifically for you. I love it. Um, That's great. As opposed to kind of the general. Right. And like, the, I don't want to be on a beach. Pain <laughs> right, is not red right. for me. Like, right. Whatever. That's so great.
0: And then, so when you were working on preparing for your second birth and you were mm-hmm. doing the self-hypnosis work, were you working with mm-hmm. someone to record things to listen to during the, the procedure? Mm-hmm. So you were actually listening to your, your hypnosis during the procedure? Yeah. Okay.
1: So I did it when I was prepping. I didn't do it during the process because I wanted to hear what was going on. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And so I do kind of this check in and check out. <laughs> You're right. Like, right. oh, still good. But, um, yeah, so I had some, you know, trusting colleagues who would make recordings because again, even for myself, who clearly practiced this for a really long time under stress. Having an external voice is really helpful. Mm, Um, That's good. An external trusted voice. Right. (laughs) As you learned when you were three, the external not trusted voice is not helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Yes. Not as effective as telling people to calm down. When I like train people, I'm like the words calm down have never worked to actually have someone calm down in the history of mankind. Uh-uh, so
0: usually really makes really them more, more so angry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. I <laughs> go. So in contrast, it actually makes them freak out more. Yeah. So really yeah. try to strike that from your vocabulary.
0: Um, <laughs> I learned that the hard way when I I had like one of my first roommates <laughs> and she was freaking out over something. And I was like, calm <laughs> down, and then she, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, it was like
1: yeah.
0: yeah, it was ridiculous, and I was like, okay, that was the <laughs> wrong thing to say for the rest of my life. I won't say okay. that. Yeah,
1: so perhaps no on that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, this has been amazing. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to share? Anything else?
1: So yeah, we have a lot of different things coming out. We just are releasing, uh, it's like a smart chat bot that interacts with kids to create a personalized comfort plan for them for medical procedures Mm -hmm. where they actually make choices and you like put in the parent's email address and then we send them an email with a personalized plan that's, you know, they want to use topical anesthetic and they want to watch a Peppa Pig video and Mm. they want to sit on your lap. So in that very way of like literally putting the power in the palm of the kid's hand, yeah, before we're even starting in prep. Um, so we've released that, and that's available. We're kind of it's sort of in beta test mode right now, and we'll be releasing our other platform aimed at parents here in about a month. But I would encourage parents to like follow us on social media because obviously we're not going to swing back to the website every eight seconds, but um, we tend to put out our resources and tips and we do, our goal is to make it very applicable to life. Yeah. And kind of translate the academic world into human speak, as mm, we say. Great. And we're planning on doing resources for pregnant moms and babies. Um, Love it. Very specifically towards that group. So again, oh, like that we're starting out straight from the beginning okay. with some really good expectations about how to help and protect our babies. Yeah. And feel more powerful. That's so awesome. Oh,
0: I've just, I just got the chills. I just, it's so exciting. And, you know, you so like much. I said it before, but the work that you're doing is so inspiring because nobody, especially when a parent, when they have kind of the worst nightmare happen to them, where they get a diagnosis, when their child is going to be in pain, anything that they can do to make that process less painful and more joyful and and the time that they can spend together is
1: you know what i'm saying it's like i do thank you so much it's you know i've been doing this for 20 plus years and been able just lucky enough to have great colleagues And sort of gather experts from tech and design and marketing and combine them with all these amazing humans from the pain world to you know, create mass accessibility.
0: Right. And that's
1: what we're trying to do. Yeah, and the quality of people's lives are
0: are changing in a real way because of the work. So so. it's great. I'm so glad that we were able to talk about it today. It was
1: so nice to talk to you, You too. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you to Dr. Jody Thomas. You are an incredible force, and I'm so honored to have had you on the show. And thank you to you all for joining us for this awesome Pain Series two part episode. Make sure you check out the show notes for tons of amazing links to resources that Dr. Jody Thomas has curated for you to help you and your families begin having a more empowered pain experience. Follow the work that Dr. Thomas is doing with the Meg Foundation. On on their Instagram page at Meg Foundation for Pain and go to birthshow.com to see a great list of products and resources that we recommend to help you on your own journey into parenthood when you subscribe and you rate and you review, it's really the best way to give back to me. And it literally takes five seconds. It means the world to me when you do it. So thanks for going to do that right now. Follow us on Instagram at Show, and you can follow me on Instagram at Christy Will. As always, it is a pleasure to be with you. I look forward to being together again next time. I'm Christy Williams and you've been listening to Birth. This is a SYNC Studios production.